please stand up. I always have to pray before bringing the word, and I want to say how honored Lisa and I are to be here. We're kind of family here, so you can look at us as Uncle John and Aunt Lisa tonight. But, um, you know, I, I just want to say what an honor it is to stand here and speak on the pulpit here for a conference like this. You know, leadership is exemplified by its fruit. You know, Jesus said, wisdom is known by its children. And when I look, you know, Lisa and I, we've been here since 1999, and we were here in this church, and the turbulence that this church went through, you know, we've been traveling all over the world for years, and believe me, what we went through eight years ago in this church, and then seven years ago with the shooting, would have put most churches in the world under, just close the doors. And I am just so in awe of the leadership of Pastor Brady and Pastor Pam, and um, because let me tell you something, and this is amazing when you hear this. This Easter, New Life had the largest attendance ever in its history. Now, for a church that went through what it went through eight years ago to have its largest attendance, I'm telling you, only God can do that. And so you've chosen wisely to come to this leadership conference. Amen? So thank you, Pastor Brady. We love you, and we will always encourage you because we thank God for what you're doing for our city and for our nation. Amen? Now, I just want to say this. I know a lot of you probably don't know me, and I figure the best way I can introduce myself is to show you a picture of my family. Can I do that? Now, you're going to hear the true story tonight. Lisa will try to bend it tomorrow morning, but I'll tell you the truth tonight, okay? But anyway, there is my gorgeous best friend, girlfriend, and wife of 32 years of marriage next to me, Lisa Bevere. She's amazing. You'll get to hear from her tomorrow. She was just at Jensen Franklin's Women's Conference this weekend. Thursday, she goes to Joyce Meyer's Women's Conference in St. Louis. She just travels all over the world, and I... um, I tell you what, it's a wonderful thing because we get honeymoons like every other week. We get to join back together. Our oldest son is on the left, Addison. He is like amazing. He's 28 going on 50 in wisdom. He's literally the COO of our entire ministry. And I have so much respect for that man. That's his wife, Juliana, whom I've adopted as my daughter. Then next to Lisa, the three boys on the next to Lisa are actually available. So uh, <clears throat> Austin is our second born son. He's head of our marketing department, a brilliant strategist and thinker. Alec is next. Alec won Tough Mudder in the entire state of Colorado last year, so he's won Tough Mudder. And then you have Arden. Arden is our youngest and tallest. He interned for Steve Kelly, our dear friend at Wave Church at Virginia Beach for nine months and then came back and is now working with us. And he is just an absolute amazing communicator of the Word of God. And then you see the two little ones. Those are our G-babies. You say, what is a G-baby? I am way too young to be grandpa. So it is G-daddy and G for short. I got to highlight my Gs. This is Asher turns five tomorrow. He is as cute as he looks. This is Sophia Grace. Now, she's really special because she's the first girl born in the entire Bavir or Toscano clan since 1967. So you better believe this is one celebrated little girl. We had our first date a couple weeks ago. It was magnificent. She had to be potty trained. I said, I'm not, I've never changed a girl's diaper. I'm never going to change a girl's diaper. So before I go on my first date, she's got to be potty trained. So I drive up. She's got a big smile looking out the window. She comes running out, arms behind her back. She's got her hair up, all this jewelry on, this beautiful little heart dress. Throw her in the car seat. We go to Whole Foods and have gummy bears and pizza. And then we go do her first manicure. It was amazing. And then we went and bought her a dress. And then we got on the train and rode around the mall. And I get this text from my son. He said, excuse me, sir. You, my daughter is way out past her curfew. Get her home now. I said, darn. So anyway, I told her next time we go on a date, I'm buying her a necklace. So she keeps saying to me, when's our next date? But this is also Elizabeth Hope. She was just born three months ago. So I got another girl to spoil in the family. So that's my family. And um, Lisa will try to tell you that she's the favorite, but I really am the favorite. So you can listen to what she says tomorrow and weigh it, weigh, weigh it out. But anyway, that's my family. And the more I love my family, the more I realize how much God loves us. Can you say much? Because we're his family. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I um, have really been looking forward to being with you because I love leaders. I just spoke to leaders in California and Nevada last week. I just, there's a special place in my heart for especially pastors. You know, I have the utmost respect for pastors. After traveling all over the world for 25 years, I just look at you and salute you. I actually told my team, I said, listen, you know, television may influence the world, but it can never change the world. 
what's going to change the world is the local church. And that is why I have the utmost respect for you senior pastors, you associate pastors, you executive pastors, because you literally are changing our communities, and I'm so grateful. So tonight, I just really want to believe that the Holy Spirit will give us a word that will literally lift you and encourage you. I prayed about it. And it seems like every time I get in front of leaders, God just really puts this in my heart. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay true to it. Some of you may have heard me speak on it before. You may have not. But either way, I just really want to believe that you are changed tonight forever as a result of the Word of God. Can we believe for that? So, Father, thank you for these leaders that have gathered together. Some have come from so far away to hear from you, to be ministered to by your presence in worship and to receive, Lord God, instruction and counsel in how to lead their organizations. So, Father, tonight I'm asking that once again, Holy Spirit, that you would literally invade this sanctuary, that you would glorify and magnify Jesus in our midst. And as you do, I pray that not one of us would leave this place the same as we came, but we would be changed not only by your word, but by your presence. So I'm asking that you would honor us with your presence in this place tonight. Change us forever. And for this, we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody that agrees with a big shout says, come on, thank him in advance for what he's going to do. Come on, give him a big round of applause for what he's going to do in your life tonight. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I kind of love the house lights up because I love seeing people's eyes, so I hope we can do that. I hope I don't um, interrupt anything by doing that, but I just want to say again, Pastor Brady, what it is an honor to be here, and it is an honor to be a member of your church, sir. All right, tonight I'm going to share with you something that is a great passion. You know, this really occurred last year. I I went on an extended fast, and what my custom is when I go on an extended fast is I said, Lord, what, what book of the Bible do you want me to read through? And I heard so clearly, read the book of Acts. So I started journeying through the book of Acts, and literally, scriptures started jumping up off the page at me. And all these scriptures dealt with the exact same thing. And that is how much the early church looked to, depended on, interacted with, and spoke about the Holy Spirit. I realized as I was reading through that he was a vital part of their lives, and he was like preeminent in everything they did, in their leadership meetings and in their outreaches. And what became apparent to me is that what was common among them is not so common today in our American churches. So let me just start out by saying a really bold statement. There is virtually no Christianity without the Holy Spirit. You remove the Holy Spirit from Christianity and it very quickly becomes a dry, monotonous, mundane religion. You remove the Holy Spirit from your ministry and your ministry quickly becomes an occupation. You remove the Holy Spirit from a church and it will morph into either a social club or a religious institution. Now, when you mention the Holy Spirit with many believers, immediately we default to His gifts, His power, tongues. But can I say I think it's quite rude to know someone by what they do rather than who they are. So I think the important thing we've got to ask tonight is, is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is he a powerful influence that emanates from the Father and the Son? Kind of like what we would refer to if we say the spirit of generosity. Now, if you see him in that light, you're going to make ridiculous statements. You make statements like, I'm a Holy Ghost person, or I want more of the Holy Ghost. But if you see him as a person, the third person of the Godhead, who's worthy of our respect, our adoration, our reverence, our worship, our obedience, you will not make statements like I'm a Holy Ghost person or I want more of the Holy Ghost. You'll make statements like, how can I give myself more to him? Now, I think the problem really stems back to the way we view him. I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. If I had $1 for every time in the 30 years that I have heard the Holy Spirit referred to as an it, I would be a very wealthy man. But if we would simply look at the scripture, we would realize that he cannot be an it. Because scripture says in Romans chapter 8, he has a mind, a mind of his own. It says he has a will. 
a will of his own. It says he has emotions. He comforts. He speaks. In fact, the Bible says he speaks clearly. He teaches. He can be grieved. He can be insulted, just like any person can be insulted. He can be resisted. He can even be lied to. Now, I think the real problem even stems back to when we were younger in Sunday school class. Now, I was raised Catholic. I had what's called catechism. But, you know, I've been in ministry long enough to understand what Sunday school class. But, you know, the teacher stands up and looks at the class and says, Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And bam, on the screen is a picture of a dove or a little flame on top of a guy's head. Now, can I say this? In all four Gospels, it says that the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. That doesn't make him a bird. Okay? Yeah, yeah, but John, the apostle, saw the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelations. And he said he was flames of fire in the throne of God. Well, the same apostle saw Jesus in the, in the throne of God in the same book and called him a lamb. That doesn't make Jesus a four-footed animal. And so the early church really had this awareness of him being a person. And so the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and this is a church he founded. And he actually writes three letters. We only have two of them. But in the very final letter, the very final statement that he writes, I find it quite interesting because remember, they couldn't email back then. They couldn't text. So he knows this is probably the last words I'll ever write this church on this earth. Look what he says to them in 2 Corinthians. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul is about to do is he's about to highlight each of the three persons of the Godhead's emphasis in our life. So he starts out with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful for the grace of Jesus? When you think of Jesus, think of his grace. If it wasn't for his grace, we wouldn't even be here tonight. We wouldn't even have an interest in seeking God if it wasn't for his unmerited free gift of grace. Amen? And then he goes on and says the love of God. Now, when I think of my father, that's the first thing that comes to my heart is his love for me. You know, I, I showed you my four sons, how much I love them. I can't even imagine having one son. I can't even fathom giving my one and only son to die for all my enemies. And yet the Bible says when we were still enemies, God gave Jesus to die for us. That's amazing love. And then he goes on to say the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now, as a former Catholic, altar boy, when you say communion to me, I think of when the priest put the wafer on her tongue and the wine I snuck at the end of every mass as an altar boy. That is not communion, okay? Communion is the Greek word koinonia. Most of you should know this. And it is a word that has a lot of definitions, but what I've done, because I've really studied this word, I have narrowed it down to three major definitions. Definition number one would be fellowship. So what Paul is saying is may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now notice he doesn't say may the fellowship of Jesus be with you. Why doesn't he say that? Because it's pretty difficult to fellowship with somebody who's a few billion miles away. You gotta remember when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel said to his disciples, the way he went, the way he's coming back. He has not come back in the clouds yet. And if you remember when Stephen was stoned, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's been there for 2,000 years. You know, the person of the Godhead who's been on earth is always the one who's so misunderstood, even by ministers. I mean, they didn't get God the Father at Mount Sinai. If you look at the leaders in Jesus' day, they said, who are you? God's our Father, who are you? And if you look at today, the Holy Spirit has been so misunderstood even among leaders in the church. And so the second definition is partnership. So Paul is saying, may the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you. That's one of my favorites there. And my very favorite is the third one, intimacy. Now, let's look at each of them. Number one, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The word fellowship, what does it mean? It means simply this. It means companionship, or it means to share with one another. Now, how many of you know companions interact with one another? Correct? I mean... You know, we live here in Colorado Springs. A lot of times people go up to a Denver Bronco game. And can you imagine picking up your friend to go up to the Bronco game and your friend gets in the car and you drive an hour up to Denver, up to Bronco Stadium, and you don't say one word to your friend. Not, hey, how you doing? How's your family? Are you excited about the game? Let me tell you about where the tickets are. You don't say one word to them all the way up there. 
And to add insult, you turn the Christian radio station on really loud so he can't talk. Now, you would never dream of doing that with a person. But yet, how many times do we get in the car and we drive 20 minutes and we don't say one word to the Holy Spirit? Why? Because we really perceive him as an it, not a person. Because you'd never do that with a person. But yet, we'll easily do that with him. See, back a Christian, back a leader into a quarter and say, is the Holy Spirit a a person? He'll go, oh yeah. But yet, we treat him like an it. But if you look at the early church, it wasn't that way. Paul made this statement in Acts chapter 20. He said, now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. Not by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, by his partner. Are you seeing this? And then he says, not knowing what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit has told me in city. Now look at this, in city after city. The jail and suffering lie ahead. Now do you see the word city after city? This is an ongoing conversation. So in other words, like, if we made a movie about Paul's life, I'm telling you, this is the way it would be. We'd put him in a cave or some room with a desk and a chair and a bed and a cot, I should say, not a bed. And, and then we'd play this sci-fi music, like, and then you'd hear this voice, Paul, jail and suffering lie ahead. And Paul would be like, I had an epiphany. That's not what happens. There's an ongoing conversation going on here. I'm sure Paul is protesting about this. Jail. What do you mean jail? I'm supposed to bring the gospel all over to Eastern Europe and Asia. What do you mean jail? I can't do that going to jail. Yeah, but Paul, you got to understand, you're going to get an opportunity to speak to rulers, to leaders, to soldiers, even Caesar himself. So it's actually going to further what you're doing. Yeah, but I don't like the jail and the suffering part. Can we talk about it? I mean, can we not have that part? And so see, they're talking about this city after city. You know, I've had conversations before with Lisa. And believe me, it didn't last five minutes. It went on to the next city, and then to the next city, and then to the next city. And you know, sometimes we didn't agree, and we kept talking about it. See, that's what's going on with Paul. He's like, I don't like this. And so they're interacting with one another. If you look at Stephen, Stephen's ministering in a city And all of a sudden, in the middle of this meeting, an angel, now look at this, an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. Now, you will never find a Bible translation that says an angel of the Lord appeared to Philip. You will never find it because an angel did not appear to Philip. An angel spoke to Philip. Now, I will show you other people angels appeared to in the New Testament. An angel appeared to Joseph. An angel appeared to Zacharias. An angel appeared to Mary. An angel appeared to Elizabeth. An angel appeared to Cornelius. An angel appeared to John. But an angel didn't appear to Philip. An angel spoke to Philip. An angel said, hey, get up and go to the desert. So Philip obeys. He goes to the desert. A couple days later, he sees a royal Ethiopian chariot. And we see three verses later, then the spirit said to Philip, go and overtake this chariot. Now, do you understand that these guys knew the voice of the spirit of God so well that they could differentiate his voice from an angel's voice? Now, that seems weird to some of you, but is it really weird? Put 24 of us in a room, small room. Put Pastor Brady and I, Pastor Brady and I in one corner, sitting down, talking. Put Lisa and Pastor Pam on the other side of the room, sitting down, talking, and you all standing up, talking. You know, my wife may say something. She may laugh, and I'll go, there's my wife. There's her voice. Now, I'm not even seeing her mouth move, but I I can recognize my wife's voice three aisles over in the grocery store. I can call my office no matter where I am in the world and they'll say good morning messenger international may I help you I'll say good morning David say good morning Justin good morning Sherry good morning Brenda because I know the voice of every single one of my 25 employees now that's not weird to us why is it so weird that these guys could differentiate between the Holy Spirit's voice and an angel see Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts and I can just see Philip sitting with Luke going doc doc no It wasn't the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the city. It was an angel. When I got to the desert, that's when the Spirit spoke to me. That's why I said earlier what was common among them is not so common with us today. You still with me? Now it goes to partnership. Everybody say partnership. So Paul's saying, may the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now, how many of you know that partners have to develop what I call an ebb and flow? Right? I remember when I played varsity tennis at Purdue University, 
what they do for a match, you have nine points for a match, six singles, three doubles. So you as a singles player are paired up with another singles player and become a doubles team. I was paired with the number two singles man on Purdue University's team. And I remember our first couple of matches were so bad. Wanna know why? Because balls were flying right between us at the net. Balls were flying. I mean, we were so awkward. And so we started talking and we kept playing together. And what happened was we started developing a flow. And do you know after a while, we were almost unbeatable. I think we hardly lost a match after we started thinking like one man. That's what the Holy Spirit desires with you. He wants to be your partner. You know, I remember the first time I got up to preach 30 years ago, Lisa and I were just married. Lisa was sitting in the front row right where she's at right now. Within five minutes of my message, she was sound asleep. And she slept the entire message. And her best friend sitting next to her was in such deep sleep, I was watching drool come out of her wide open mouth. Now people don't go to sleep when I preach. Why? Because I've learned how to flow with my partner. I remember the first time God asked me to write a book. You know, I just finished my 19th book yesterday. And I remember the first time in 1991, God said to me, write a book. It was my worst subject in high school. I hated English. I hated writing. But yet I knew he had spoken. And I remember it took me a whole year to write that book. And I needed a lot of help. And it really isn't that good of a book. But now God says write a book and I can crank it out much quicker. Why? Because I've learned how to flow with my partner. If you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, we are fellow workers for and with God. Not only do we work for God, we work with him. The only person of the Godhead we can work with is the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that's on the earth. Now, this is really something that is exemplified in the book of Acts. Because you got the apostles in the book of Acts, and they make this statement. They said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now, do you notice there are two parties being represented here? The Holy Spirit and us. There's a partnership going on. You see, God didn't want robots when he created us. He wants to partner. I mean, you see his desire in the Old Testament. I mean, one time he's getting ready to go blow up Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, you know what? Should we do this before we first talk to our friend Abraham, our partner? And he comes down and he and Abe look over the cliff and he says, you know what, Abe? We're thinking about blowing up these two cities. What do you think? And Abe just goes, wait a minute. My nephew's over there. So Abe starts reminding him of some things, right? And after they're done interacting, God approaches it totally different. If you look at two times on the mountain, the Bible says literally God was going to do something, but Moses reminded him of what he had previously said and said, oh, no, you don't. And the Bible says God changed his mind. He relented from what he was going to do because of what his partner said. Now, with Moses, it's just on the mountain. With Abraham, it's just at the cliff. With us, it's 24-7 because Jesus said he's going to be continually in you and with you. See, this is why Jesus said it's better for you that I go away. I mean, stop and think about it. He healed every sick person, paid their bills out of money from fish's mouth. And he says, it's better for you that I go away. He saves their life in a storm on the sea. It's better for you that I go away. Yeah, it is. Why? Because if he didn't, and we wanted to ask him a question, we'd have to catch a flight to Tel Aviv, rent a car, drive out to Galilee. He'd be easy to find because there'd be about a million people around him. Now, give him 60 seconds with every one of those million people. He's got to have some time to sleep. He's got to have some time to eat. So let's work him 14 hours a day. If he did that, it would take him 3.24 years to get to you. And you better be ready because you only got 60 seconds because there's another million behind you. But you see today, the Holy Spirit can have 3 million different conversations going on with 3 million different people on different continents in different languages. That's why he said it is better because he said he's going to be just like me. I know sometimes we think, gosh, the questions I would have asked Jesus if I was with him. Would you have really? Because you ignore him. Why would you have asked Jesus? Because Jesus said he's exactly like me. In fact, Paul came to know Jesus even better than Peter. And Peter walked with Jesus three and a half years. But it hindered him because he kept reverting back to when he was with him in the flesh. And finally, Peter writes at the end of his life, he says, this guy, Paul, he knows Jesus so well. Some of his letters are hard for me to understand. Because Paul came to know him by the Spirit. 
That's why Jesus said there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't handle it. It's amazing. Now it goes beyond partnership. It goes to close mutual association. What do I mean by close mutual association in a partnership? Well, I'm going to date myself right now, okay? When I'm in junior high, you can say one word to me, just one word, Beatles. I know exactly who you're talking about. Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, George Harrison. I know the music they play. I know where they come from. I know their history. All you had to do is say Beatles. That's a close mutual association. All you had to do is say to me is Stooges. I go, Mo, Larry, Curly. They try to replace Curly with Shemp. That is ridiculous. Nobody watches Shemp videos because he is not the Stooges. It is Mo, Larry, and Curly. That's that association. Are you with me? Back in the 1980s, I was asked to take care of Dr. Paul. At that time, he was Dr. Paul Youngie Cho. He's Dr. David Cho today. And I remember I had only been saved for about five, six years. And they assigned me to host him when he came in. I was like, whoa. Because he had the biggest church in the world. Today, his church is over a million members. Back then, it only had 750,000 members. And I remember he flies in with all these businessmen. There's like 15 Korean businessmen. And I remember the head businessman pulls me aside. He says, Mr. Bevere, you're the one that's driving Dr. Cho to service tonight, aren't you? I said, yes, 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 sir. He said, we need to talk. I said, yes, sir. So he sits me down. He says, Mr. Bevere, number one. And he says it like this. When you pick up Dr. Cho from the hotel tonight, you drive into the auditorium, do not talk to him. He does not talk to people before service. He said, do you understand me? I said, yes, sir, I understand you. And then he gives me all these other things. So I drive up to the hotel that night. They open the door and they put Dr. Cho in the vehicle. When Dr. Cho gets in my car, God gets in my car. I'm not kidding. The whole car is filled with the presence of God. And tears start pouring down my cheek. Now, I'm not a crying person. And I remember we got to a stoplight about halfway to the auditorium, and I didn't care what the guy said anymore. I just very reverently turned and said, Dr. Cho, God is in the car. And Dr. Cho looks at me and goes, I know. And that's all he said. (laughs) Now, we talked a lot more later when we played golf, but I'm so glad he didn't say anything else because I started thinking, how much he talks about the Holy Spirit. How much time he spends with the Holy Spirit. See, can I ask you something? Do you like spending time with people who ignore you? Do you want to hang around people who ignore you? Okay, do you know why I like coming here? Do you want to know why I like being a guest here? Because this man is so kind to me. He's so kind to my family. He's so kind to my wife. I mean, I'm in the grocery store. And he comes running over. John, John, John. I come in tonight. He's like, hey, grabs me, hugs me. Serves me the food I like. He's from Louisiana. He hates what we ate tonight. He really ate real food for me tonight just because he likes me so much, right? And we're up there talking and laughing and having a great time. Now, compare this. True story, true story. I go to a church. They pick me up. The hotel, they drive me. There's no talking in the car sterile. They bring me into the church. They put me into a room. I'm the only one in the room. And I'm sitting in this room all by myself. And I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, oh my gosh, service started five minutes ago. Finally, a knock comes at the door. And they're standing there, my entourage. They reach out and grab my Bible. And we start walking down this long hallway. No talking. I feel like it's dead man walking. Okay. And then we come into the auditorium, the pastor's over there, 9,000 people are here, and I get up and I preach 45 minutes, and when I'm done, before the service is over, they take me out and bring me back to the room. Nobody else is in the room! I'm all by myself! I'm sitting in a room going, why did they invite me? Do they even like me? Now, I don't associate with that church. I like associating with this church. Do you see what I'm saying? See, I think there are some churches the Holy Spirit comes to out of obligation. (laughs) Then I think there's other churches he really likes coming because they like him. Are you with me? You guys still with me tonight? You know, one time I was doing a meeting in Detroit with a guy named Bishop Jack Wallace. Now, Jack, about 10 years ago, had a heart attack on the way to Zimbabwe. 
And uh, you know, he's, he's a really close friend of mine. He was Tommy Barnett's associate pastor for years and started his church in Detroit. And there were about 5,000 people when I went there. And I'd go there a lot. And um, I remember one Sunday morning, I preached on the Holy Spirit. Oh, uh, both services. And Sunday night, you know, Jack said to me, you'll have the mic in 20 minutes. You know, we don't do long Sunday night services. I remember it's over an hour. And I remember he comes walking up to me and he could bench press 545 pounds and tears are pouring down his cheek. And he looked at me and he said, in all the years I've pastored this church, I've never encountered the presence of God like tonight. What's going on? I said, can I tell you what's going on? He said, yeah. I said, we talked about him this morning. See, he likes associating with people who talk about him. Now it goes to intimacy. Everybody say intimacy, and I'll close with this. Everybody say intimacy. Come on, say it. What's intimacy? Intimacy is fellowship, but it's deeper. It goes to the thoughts, the intentions, the desires of the heart. How many of you know that intimacy is the sure avenue to a deep friendship? Look at this same scripture out of the Message Bible. Look at this. It says, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Okay, now would you just stop and think about that for a minute? The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He's not saying may the intimate friendship of Peyton Manning be with you. Okay, look, I like Peyton Manning. I'd like to meet him. I'd like to be his friend. But we're not talking about Peyton Manning. We're talking about the one who put the stars in the universe with his fingers and called everyone by name. We're talking about the one who weighed every drop of water on this earth in the palm of his hands. He wants to be your intimate friend. That is amazing. James says it like this. James says... The Spirit, notice he identifies the Spirit who dwells in us, yearns. Now everybody say yearns. Yearns. Now say it with passion. What does it mean to yearn? To yearn means to long for intensely and consistently. Now when I think of consistently, that's the one I really like. See, how many of you know we humans, we're, we're a little moody sometimes. You know, Lisa and I, I'm telling you, she is the love of my life. But if I wake her up at 2.30 in the morning, I guarantee you she's not yearning for me. And if she does the same with me, I guarantee you, I'd be like, honey, why'd you wake me up? But I've slipped out of bed at 2.30 in the morning and I've walked into my office and he was right there because he was yearning. I love that. Intensely yearns for us, consistently. But now look at the final word. He yearns what? What is that word? What is that word? What does that mean? Well, let me put it to you like this. I'll exemplify. Do you think Lisa would share with me the secrets, the desires, the intentions of her heart if I was pursuing a relationship with another woman? One person answered that. She's sitting on the front row. I mean, I don't want to do a marriage seminar right now. Do you think Lisa would share with me the secrets and desires of her heart if I was pursuing a relationship with another girl? Well, you know what he says one verse earlier? He says, you're seeking a friendship with the world? You're an adulterer. Now, what's an adulterer? An adulterer is someone who has a covenant relationship with someone and violates that covenant to establish a relationship with somebody else. But now, what's the world? And when we think the world is music, dress, smoke, light, no, no. John says everything that is in the world is summarized in this. The gratification of the eyes, the indulgence of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, what's pride of life? That's status, that's reputation. So let me put it to you this way. If you wanna be a leader because you want the people of your city to admire you, don't expect to have any intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You're an adulterer. But if you wanna be a leader because you want more of a position to serve, then you're gonna have intimacy with the Holy Spirit sure is quiet in this Methodist church. You still here? Okay. I just want to make sure. I mean, I mean, look at the living Bible. I, I mean, the message Bible makes it so clear. It says, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your way flirting with the world every chance you get. That's strong. You still with me? Now, I want to show you that scripture I just glimpsed at earlier in the book of Acts. I want to show it to you again. Look what the apostles said. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us 
Do you notice? Now, I want you to look at those words. Do you notice they didn't say, the Holy Spirit spoke, and so do we. Do you understand that they were so intimate with him that he permitted them to represent him without him speaking? And there's five more chapters in the Bible that they wrote without him speaking. Are you, are you with me? Let, me? let me give you an example. Lisa and I were doing a conference in Canada last year. I spoke first night, she spoke second night. Second night, we're in worship. It was quite a powerful worship. And the sound man walked around with one of these mics. It's a countryman, single-ear countryman. Now, I know Lisa doesn't like these because her hair gets in the way, it flops and all that stuff. She'll take the two ones, but not the, the single one. And I, I, I didn't want him interrupting her. She's getting ready to speak, so I just stopped him. I said, hey, no, she doesn't want that. I said, what else do you have? Do you, do you have a wireless handheld? He goes, yeah. I said, bring that. So I was able to represent her without her speaking because I know her so well. See, I can be in a room filled with people and my wife can give me one look. I can write three pages what she just said. <laughs> now you'd be in that room. You'd see the same look. You couldn't write nothing. Why? Because you don't know her like I know her. But now 30 years ago when we first got married, she gave me a look like that in a room one time. I said, what are you saying? Talk about socially awkward. Because I didn't know her like I know her now. That's why I'm so glad we get one mate our whole life because I don't want to take the time to get to know somebody else. Okay? <laughs> I know that was stupid, wasn't it? I'll hear about that one later. <laughs> Paul did the same thing. I think I need to move on. Paul did the same thing. He said, but in my opinion, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I says that, and he writes several paragraphs, and God lets him represent him without him speaking. See, this is what he desires with us. This is intimate partnership. Now, how many of you know, and I'm going to end it with this, how many of you know in order to have intimacy with somebody, you have to seek to understand the personality of, you want to, of the person you want to be intimate with? You know what I'm talking about? Let me make it clear. When my kids were toddlers, I wasn't doing a very good job of being a dad. So my wife pulls me in the bedroom one day and she says, honey, you're struggling. I said, I know. So what's up? She said, well, John, you treat all of our boys like they have the exact same personalities. She said, they have different personalities. Like I got one son, you don't give him hints. You have to get it directly right at him. I got another son, you got to come in the side door. You got to get him to think he thought about it. So I started adjusting the way I spoke to my sons according to their personalities, and I started skidding somewhere as their dad. Now, how many of you know the same is true for men and women? Really? Okay. My dad turns 95 this year. He's a World War II vet. He and mom been married 66 years, okay? Unbelievable dad, never drunk a day in his life, never saw him look at another one, paid all of our bills, but he didn't get saved till he was 79, okay? And my dad's this little World War II Italian man. He's a vet of World War II. And, 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 and I'm just gonna put it to you straight. He just doesn't like to talk. He's so quiet. So Lisa's really my first love. So he doesn't prepare me to be married to a woman. So I get married to Lisa, and I treat her like a guy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, it didn't go well the first couple of years, right? Because Peter said, dwell with them with understanding. And if you would have really thought about it, he said, you wives, dwell with your husbands with understanding. Because our personalities are different. Like, last September, I won our club championship for the seniors. <laughs> I hate saying that. So it's a two-day tournament, and I come home the first day, and my boys look. Everybody's in the family room, and they said, well, how'd you do? Because they all knew I played in the tournament. I said, well, I shot a 67. Well, my boys were like, whoa, Dad, what holes did you birdie? So they're all about what holes I birdied. Lisa looks at me, and she goes, oh, honey, that's great. What did you and the guys you talk about play with? Or what did you and the guys you play with talk about? So do you see the difference? They're into competition. She's into relationship, right? Men and women are different, Right? Okay, give me a little affirmation, okay? So, 
So 19 times Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, 16 as he, him, and himself. 19 times. But if you go back to the original language, the Greek language, you will discover the Greeks have a pronoun that we don't have in the English language. It's a gender-neutral pronoun. For example, in English, we say he and she. If I say he, you know I'm talking about one single man. If I say she, you know I'm talking about one single woman, right? The Greeks have a gender-neutral pronoun that can refer to either one man or one woman. That is the pronoun Jesus uses all 19 times in John's Gospels. Now, if you go back to the Hebrews' writings, you go back to the Old Testament, the Hebrews are a little different than the Greeks. The Greeks are kind of into their... Their form, you know, they love statues. The Greeks are more into, they're more into, um, oh, what are they into? They're into methods, they're into function. Function's a good word. Now this gets a little complicated, but you have to understand that when the Holy Spirit is spoken about in the Old Testament, in order to discover if a noun is feminine or a noun is masculine, you have to look at the verb or the adverb that is assigned with it. That will show whether it's a masculine or a feminine in what you're talking about. Do you know that several times in the Old Testament that the verb and the adverb makes the noun feminine when talking about the Holy Spirit? Did you hear what I just said? Feminine. Now, I am not saying the Holy Spirit is a female. Don't you dare walk out of here and say, John Bevere says the Holy Spirit is a goddess. No, that's not what I'm saying. However, what I am asking is this. Who, and this is really not a trick question, so you can respond to me. Who existed first, God or human beings? God. Look what Genesis 127 says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his own image. So you know what that means. There has to be personality characteristics that we ascribe as being feminine that existed in God before humans were created. Otherwise, females never could have been created in his image and they were created in his image. Well, you have God the Father. That's pretty obvious. He's not effeminate. You have God the Son. Again, that's really obvious. So who's left? Who's left in the Godhead that can carry personality characteristics we ascribe as being feminine? I submit to you it's the Holy Spirit, and I have reasons. If you look at Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now notice it doesn't say don't grieve Jesus. It doesn't say don't grieve the Father. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word there for grieve is the Greek word lupiti. And thanks to Rick Renner, it means this, deep sorrow and distress comes from the root word lupe, which means a pain that can only be experienced between two people who deeply love each other. Let me give you an example of this. I have, because I'm Italian, I'm very, very passionate. I have at times in past spoken harshly to my sons. And when I do it, within 20, 30 minutes, this overwhelming conviction comes on me. And I go back to my son and I say, I am so sorry. What I said was right, but the way I said it was wrong. I, I, I'm so sorry for being harsh. Would you forgive me? Now, my sons, they're so amazing. They'll go, come here, Dad. They'll pat me on the back. they say, we forgive you. Okay? Everything's great between me and my son. Two days later, Lisa looks at me and she goes, I'm still mad at you for the way you talked to our son two days ago. I'm like, babe, that is like so water under the bridge. Now, what happened? I deeply sorrowed her by speaking harshly to one of our sons who she loves so deeply. Now, if you look at this scripture in context, look what it says. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and talks about rage, bitterness, and hard words, harsh words. So what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is deeply, deeply grieved, like my wife is, when you speak to one of his children who he loves so dearly, harshly. Are you with me? Do you know I've actually had him deal with me about the way I spoke to somebody a couple days earlier because I really didn't apologize deeply for it. I was surface apologizing. 
because I was still justifying the way I talked to them. I grieved him. Are you with me? Why is he? Why does the Bible identify the Holy Spirit, not Jesus? Because he's very much like a woman in personality. Women are like him, I should say, in personality. He's very tender and he's very sensitive. Now, tenderness and sensitivity is not a weakness. It's actually a strength, but it needs to be protected. That's why I believe the Bible says don't grieve him. See, let me give you another reason. You can, you can talk bad about me. You can cuss me out to my face. I actually have a friend. He cussed me out right to my face a couple of years ago. I mean, he's saved now, but you know, we're still really good friends. I forgave him. But if he cusses like that to my wife, he's in big trouble. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, that's Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven them either in this age or the age to come. Do you understand the father and the son put a protective clause on the Holy Spirit? You speak about him, you're not gonna be forgiven. Now don't, don't ever walk out of here going, oh my gosh, I spoke against all. If you did, you wouldn't even wanna be here. So the very fact you wanna be here means you didn't do it, but don't do it. Are you with me? Again, the father and the son put a protective clause on him because they're protecting him. He's tender. He's sensitive. I was in Hawaii last year speaking to the government, and I learned something on the trip. I spoke to the, the mayor's office was there, the, the, uh, the, Senate, the president of the Senate was there, senators and all. And I found out something so amazing. That in Hawaii, they have a state policy that the juvenile is abused or commits a crime Hawaii wants, and this is their policy, the first police officer on the scene to be a female, not a male, because they've done studies and they've discovered juveniles will respond much better to a female officer than a male. Let me let you do your own study tonight. When you were a kid, you scraped your knee. Did you run to mom or did you run to dad? You ran to mom because she's the comforter of the family. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter four times into the gospel of John alone. If you look at Proverbs eight times, wisdom is referred to as she, not he. He is the spirit of wisdom. Now, again, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a female. What I am saying is there has to be personality characteristics we've described as being feminine that existed in God before we were created. Otherwise, females could have never been created in his image, and they were. Now, if there is a person, and I'm wrapping it up, if there's a person it reminds me of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It has to be King David. If you look at King David, nobody was feared on the battlefield more than King David. Nobody. I mean, he and his 30 men make our special ops guys look like kindergartners if you really, really read what they did. But if you look at King David in his interpersonal relationships, the guy's constantly crying. I mean, he talks about drinking his tears. I mean, do you know what he said about a man one time? He said, Jonathan, your love to me is better than any of my wives. What man talks like this? Okay, so he's mighty on the battlefield, but he's very tender and sensitive in interpersonal skills. If you look at the Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of might. He manifests as the rushing mighty wind. But in interpersonal skills, he's very tender and sensitive. And you see, the problem is, we thought he was macho Holy Spirit because he's the spirit of might. And so we're not relating to him. Can I say this? <laughs> when God opened this up to me, Lisa and I were together on vacation last year when, when he opened this up to me. We're sitting in the pool all day talking about this. It answered a question I've had for 29 years. John, it used to bug me. Because experientially, I travel all over the world and I find out women are more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than men. But come on, we're leaders, let's be honest. In your experience, haven't you experienced that? I have. And I, it used to really kind of annoy me. I'd be like, God, this isn't right. I mean, what, what do you like women better? 
I do, but you're not supposed to. And then last year when God opened this up to me, I realized why women are more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they are like him. They don't have to dwell with him with understanding. We men have to dwell with him with understanding because he's tender and sensitive, not like us. I entitled the book and I wrote it with my oldest son, Addison. The Holy Spirit, an introduction. Why did I say introduction? Because he was so misrepresented in the charismatic move. I mean, how many of you know kids can detect weirdness better than anybody? I remember 20 years ago, Lisa and I were going to churches and my 25-year-old now and 28-year-old, they're leaning into mom's chest side so, so strong, they're almost bruising her because they don't want to be near the spirit-filled man or woman sitting next to them. Yeah. So I started thinking about it because when I mentioned the Holy Spirit last year, I kind of saw a little recoil from my boys. I'm sitting there kind of thinking, all right, what's going on here? And I started thinking about this. I started thinking, you know, nobody yielded more to the Holy Spirit than Jesus. Nobody yielded more effectively and better to the Holy Spirit than Jesus. Yet kids jumped in his lap. They were seeking to jump into his lap. Mafia leaders invited him to their party. Mafia leaders wouldn't invited that lady next to my son to their party. Government officials sought him out. They would never seek this person out. So you know what I realized? Holy Spirit's not weird. It was the people representing him. They're just weird. They, they would have been weird if they were playing cards. They're just weird. And we encourage them to be weirder by what we taught. So I called it the Holy Spirit in introduction. Now, let, let me show you why I did this. Brandon, would you help me? Would you stand up? Daniel, would you help me? Would you stand up? Okay. Now, now let, me, let me show you why I called it the introduction, okay? So please, please bear with me. I, I love this man. I respect this man. Please. Brandon, I know him. Daniel, I know him, but they don't know each other. So I'm wanting to introduce Brandon to Daniel. Now, Daniel's not around, so I said, Brandon, I can't wait for you to meet Daniel, man. Let me, let me, let me tell you about him, man. Uh, he's a vegetarian. He, he will not touch meat, chicken, fish, nothing like that, okay? Not only that, he loves synchronized swimming, okay? I mean, like he watches... Hours of videos of synchronized swimming because his dream is to be on the U.S. women's synchronized swimming team. Yeah. Not only that, his favorite hobby is knitting. Okay? Now, I'm not around. Brandon sees this guy named Daniel. What's Brandon going to do? Okay. I don't want nothing to do with him. So what have I done? I've misrepresented him because he's not. He loves meat. Look at the man. Look at the muscles. He hates synchronized swimming. He hates knitting, and he's a man's man. So what did I do? I misrepresented him. And so now Brandon's kind of like, and that's what we did to a whole generation in the charismatic move. Thanks, guys. We misrepresented him. And I have this passion to reintroduce him. And that's why I, I could have preached on so many things. I mean, I've written 19 books, okay? But I thought, I got to preach this. Because if Jesus waited 30 years before he embarked on his destiny of why he was put on this earth, until he had the fullness of the Spirit, how much more do we need the fullness of the Spirit, the partnership of the Spirit, the intimacy of the Spirit in our leadership positions in the marketplace, in the arts, in the medical field, in mathematics, in science, in the educational field, in government, in, ed- in athletics, in ministry. We need the friendship, the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Did you get something out of this tonight? Amen.
I just sensed as I was, you know, communing with him before coming in here tonight, there's some people in here, you're dry. And you want that vibrance put back into your relationship with God. Well, let me tell you something. It's going to stay dry until you engage with him. And if you say, you know what, John, things have been a little dry. Can you just stand up and let me pray for you tonight? If you just say, man, I, I want a closer relationship with him. Just be honest and just stand up right now. I'm not going to call you up front. I just want you to stand up. I'd love to pray for you. If you say, John, I really want <clears throat> to have that interaction with him. I'm just going to wait because people keep standing up. So I'm just going to wait. <clears throat> if you say, John, I, I, I've never been fit. I've never really come to know him. I want to come to know him. Just stand up right now. I just want to pray for you tonight. About 50% of you are on your feet, but I, I, I don't know why, but I think there's some more that, that you, you want to be standing. I'm going to just give you one more opportunity. Don't look around. There's no reason to look around. If you just say, man, I want fresh filling, a fresh encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, just stand up. Can you just lift your hands up? Just lift your hands up and close your eyes. <clears throat> Probably 60% of you standing up right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for these leaders, these men and women of God that are both standing and sitting. I pray and I'm asking you tonight that you would draw near draw near to them. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to say this. Father in heaven, my dear Father, we thank you so much for not leaving me as an orphan. When Jesus left, he sent me another. He gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, I need you. I draw near to you. I'm asking you, draw near to me. Reveal Jesus to me. That's your favorite thing to do. Show me his ways. Show me his desires. Reveal him to me like I've never known him before. And so I ask you now, fill me with your presence. Jesus name now let's everybody stand up and just lift your hands Father I'm asking you to touch every single person under the sound of my voice with the presence of your spirit fill them fill us all in Jesus' name. Now I want you to whisper to him. I don't want you to say one thing religious. I just want you to be real and speak from your heart. Even if it's just as simple as you're amazing or thank you. There's his presence right there. right there. Right there. See, we're not looking for a feeling. We're not looking for an experience. We're not looking for anything else other than a person. Just welcome. There's his presence again right there. Father, I sense that there's some leaders that are feeling a little lonely, a little isolated. Holy Spirit, make it known to them tonight. They're never alone. Draw near. Touch them deeply. Inspire them afresh with creative, innovative, fresh ideas. 
But that spark of serving your people ignite a flame of fire that's within. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to just thank him. I want you to just thank him out loud right now. Just thank him. There's his presence right there. In Jesus' name. Let's give him praise. Come on. Give him praise. Amen.